0: Oh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the September, October edition of FAA Safety Briefing Live. I'm Paul Prydecker, joined by my friend and colleague, Susan Parsons. Susan, how are you this evening? I'm good. How are you? Doing okay. Um, Wisconsin is- I'm sorry? It's only 99 here in Phoenix. It's cool. Yeah. I was going to say, Wisconsin is beginning to feel a bit like fall. There's some color changes in the trees and- temperatures are in the 40s in the morning, although it's 80 today. So it's just that time of the year. But uh, all is good. So uh, Susan, I know you're editor of the magazine and have so much input into this and we always enjoy your articles. Um, I continue to do my work as a uh, full-time retiree working full-time. So (laughs) that's a lot of fun. All continue right. to do continue to do some Part ninety one flying and some contract work for a few places, so everything's good. And uh, we're always happy to present this to you. Um, there's a lot of informative things, but uh, most importantly, this is an opportunity to get wings credit. And uh, Susan, what's the two step process?
1: Well, hopefully, first of all, hopefully you you get wings credit because you learn something, and uh, that's that's. Uh, that's the, that's the main goal, but the wings credit is great. And now there is a simple process where you just do a couple of clicks instead of doing I think it used to be seven clicks to get to where you take the quiz to get credit. it's just two I've tried it out. it works. Um, several of us have tried it and um, and we uh, we're, we're very glad that, that that improvement
0: has been made. So this is the kind of our standard slide where we talk a little bit about the magazine and um, the other point about this is it's, uh, it's been 60 years, it's gone through several variations and several names. But what, what's the overall purpose, Susan?
1: Well, it's right here on the, the screen that uh, we are the safety policy voice of the non commercial general aviation. And the goals you see there are uh, to raise awareness of FA resources, to explain the safety and regulatory issues. And really, one of the most important things is to encourage continued training. Um, you'll also see over there on the departments, I think you mentioned this before, but each of the regular departments has a specific mission focus. And um, I think there's one more issue where you'll see our celebrating 60 years. And after that, um, we'll be celebrating more years, but I think it'll be a while before we have a milestone anniversary again.
0: Well, and you're right. It is to, con- you know, encourage continuous training. And there's so many opportunities to do that. We hope that uh, this is one of them that you add regularly to your to your training mix. Um, every issue, there's things to learn in it. I've learned several things in this issue just by, you know, getting deep into the articles. Some of it is new acronyms, some of it's new terminology, and just some other fun facts. So um, let's move on to what our current issue is about, and uh, we'll get on with the program. Um, uh, new the app- first thing I want to oh. comment on, though, is I have, you know, the copy of this here, and that's a Wonderful cover, and I I know where that airport is, and I know you do. It's one of my favorites, especially the um, uh, the control tower has some nice architecture and color to it. So where are we?
1: Well, uh, I don't think they, they picked this one to curry favor with me, but whether or not they had that in mind, it worked, because this is my hometown airport. It's Phoenix and the Phoenix control tower, which it does have unique architecture and copper clad and it's, it's very distinctive. I loved the way that the, um, the light is in this photo and then we did the overlay of the radar. So they, our, our designer did a really nice job taking this photo and turning it into the cover that we wanted for airports and airspace, which is our thematic focus for this issue.
0: And it, it's great. It's, a lot of this is refresher material about how to um, you know, get back in the system as you know we're able to. Um, I didn't actually know what a shrimp boat was until I uh, read the article about airspace and ATC. Um, We covered uh, another communication article with a bit of a test in it on don't drop the mic. Um, Susan, you have a nice article about adventuring. And then we have three others.
1: We Uh, do. Um, And all of them have information and I think you might have learned uh, several new acronyms and we all know how important acronyms are in aviation.
0: Well, I think the one I learned was UTM, which actually has an acronym embedded in an acronym, Unmanned Aerial Systems Traffic Management. So it's an acronym embedded with an acronym. Those are good. um, Jumpseat Column by uh, Rick Domingo, uh, Ramping Up. Um, It's really talking about some of the resources available. and. two or three issues of FAA Safety Briefing Magazine, which are cited in this, which we've been involved with. Um, Back to basics, the challenge and response issue, which was a fun one, and then also surface safety.
1: Well, and uh, so, so it starts out with his idea that this is ramping back up into hopefully more and more active aviation life. But one of the points that is made here is the fact that Proficiency with flying skills is important, but, and, and I think this is something people don't always think about. Muscle memory is sometimes easier to restore than that mental muscle memory, which uh, requires, frankly, sometimes a lot more effort. So all of the issues that were cited in the learn more are about getting back to basics and to proficiency, but we particularly wanted to look at airports, airspace, and APC or traffic control in this one. Um, so that was uh, that. That was one of the reasons for the focus. It's it's kind of part of the series of what do you have to know, and do, and think about to get back into the the swing of things. The other thing I would note here is that this is Rick's uh, last jump seat column for us because at the end of this month he's retiring after almost three decades in the FAA, and uh, there'll be an acting columnist in the next issue. But rick has um, you know he blue skies and tail to him and he is he says here i wish you all the very best
0: well very good and you're you're certainly right about there's there's sort of two two types of memory we're trying to develop and also memory about flying i think most of us would agree that you know the adage oh it's just like riding a bicycle is almost true you, you know you're scan may be a little bit soft um, but it doesn't take long to get that back and the actual act of flying the airplane you know will return pretty quickly. But communicating on the radio, understanding all the things you have to do for flight planning, uh, keeping up with ATC instructions all of, and just remembering your procedures and profiles um, that exercises our brain a little bit more and you know there are certainly steps we can take to improve on that so that we can uh, be ramped up and safe. So, um, so I, I have to admit, I, I was a little confused when I first looked at this talking about trip boats and satellites and what that had to do with ATC. But um, now you know. I, I, I do know. I, I understand now. Um, and it talks a lot about the beginning of air traffic control. And uh, a couple of things I learned was Archie League. Uh, who was a Missouri native operating uh, mostly at St. Louis Lambert a long time ago, was considered the first air traffic controller. Um, There's some other historical data about how ATC has developed. Um, But as you know, during the EAA convention, I volunteer for EAA radio and do some on-the-air radio hosting things during that week. And almost every year, we interview uh, representatives from the uh, National Air Traffic Controllers Association because they want to uh, acknowledge the Archie League award that is presented to a controller or controllers who have done a pilot save. And we're often able to, um, on the radio show, um, replay some of the audio between the controllers and the pilot involved in the event. And it's a, it's a prestigious award and it's a tribute to how uh, air traffic control uh, can go above and beyond and, and help a pilot that might um, be experiencing problems or above a cloud deck or maybe not sure of a position or having some other emergency. So those are some of the things I picked out of that. And also, uh, I didn't know that the first three air traffic control centers were in Newark and Cleveland and O'Hare. So it, it's a good article to give you some background on um, the early days of air traffic control.
1: Well, I, the, shrimp bar, the shrimp boat part, I've known for a long time because one of the books I read way back when was uh, Arthur Haley's Airport, the original book. And there was a there was a lot in there. One of the subplots was about air traffic control. And at that time they used, because uh, this was in the 60s when they the book was set and written, um, they, they talked about shrimp boats and how the controllers would sit there and push these little markers around on the scope to keep track. So I thought, wow, it's um, it's amazing how far things have come, because if you haven't had the opportunity to do one of the operation rain checks that controllers, uh, radar centers, and towers do, um, hopefully those will come back from the pandemic restrictions eventually. Um, it's it's always worth seeing, and it's just fascinating to see how far we've come from the shrimp book technology. Um, and also how far we're going. This is the whole uh, more routine operations. And this gets to where the acronyms that you've learned Paul with the UTM, um, and trying to also figure out how to manage, not just drones, but also space, which obviously has been a lot in the news lately, including just
0: yesterday. Well, and there's some interesting numbers here to give, give us an idea about the expanse of this. There's approximately 14,000 controllers. um, they're supporting basically five thousand aircraft, you know, in, in the uh, U.S. at any given time, at nineteen thousand airports. Um, and then, as you mentioned, um, the connection with the um, FAA's Office of Commercial Space, mm-hmm. which is the one that is, you know, regulating commercial space traffic. Um, there's fifty. I think there's been fifty commercial operations so far this year, as what I recall. But there's been four hundred total. And it's growing, of course.
1: Well, we we addressed some of that in our new entrant issue. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention while we were on here, I, you probably saw this, the makeshift control tower was a wheelbarrow. Um, I did see that. I must say that I prefer towers like the Phoenix control tower much <laughs> better than wheelbarrows, but it's, it's kind of an
0: interesting mental picture, you know, um, standing there with um, a wheelbarrow. Well, and using lights and signal flags and you know what we would consider low tech items today, but it's certainly advanced into um, you know the, the next gen. You know, it's 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 here and it continues to grow. So, it, like I said, it's always um, and as you said, getting an idea about what happens behind the scenes if we have the opportunity to do that is is always a good thing because I'm sure. I I know I've certainly experienced, you know, being a pilot and trying to get a controller's attention, thinking I must be the only one up here. Why isn't he talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's all about me. Right. But um, of course, we have to realize that controllers uh, have a a lot of aircraft. They're working and some of them are on different frequencies. So we don't really know their workload. So they deserve a lot of respect. um, And, um, you know, working with them is always a pleasure.
1: Yeah, the flight aware and flight radar twenty four both. You, you even well, even though traffic hasn't entirely come back to where it was, it's pretty impressive to see how many airplanes are in the sky at any given time.
0: Well, and since we just finished the um, EAA convention, you know, at the end of July and early August, um, I saw screenshots of airplanes coming out of Oshkosh, and it's a solid line of yellow, you know, moving essentially yeah. south or you know, in other directions. So it's, it's quite a sight to, to realize how all of that is managed. Um, we typically cover FAA faces a little bit later, but this one, um, I know why it's up front because um, this gentleman well, is a very talented individual and it's sort of as an introduction to so many other things.
1: Yeah. Peter was uh, one of our writers. We we got to know him because he, was, he wrote several of the pieces for us and provided a lot of information when we did our new entrant issue earlier this year and found out that he's a pilot, he's a controller, uh, he's a journalist, really good writer. And so it just seemed like if we wanted to do an airports and airspace issue that he was an obvious choice. And He was fortunately willing to cooperate most of our subjects are are very gracious about that but uh he started off with that remember the little headphones connected to the armrest and channel nine on united like oh yeah i did that
0: when i traveled on business before i was doing aviation professionally if i had an option to tell the reservation people at the uh, travel agency to put me on united i always would say that in the hopes that i could get plugged into channel nine
1: Oh, I would sit there and listen to the whole thing. It was great.
0: I don't know if everybody who's listening knows what we're talking about, but I'm sure there's many who do. Uh, Channel nine on the entertainment center at United used to be a direct line to um, the flight deck, so you could hear ATC talking to the aircraft and vice versa. So, it was, so was
1: before you had moving maps right on your your phone or on the seat back, yeah. or whatever. so it was. It was a lot of fun. But Peter has. Um, He didn't want, he he became a controller, um, pilot, instructor. Then he went off to do other things and he's been in and out of the FAA. But fortunately we have him back working on policy and rulemaking for UTM. So as he it, the asking the right questions and recommendations in plain language. And he's, he's quite passionate about aviation safety culture, regardless of what you fly. And so, as I said, he was, it was kind of the perfect choice to feature and introduce. And one of the, I, I will say one of the, the reasons that we do this particular department is we want to, um, the, the FAA can seem like just a big monolithic agency, and, and it's not, it's made up of people. And the people in the FAA are very dedicated to the work that, that they do, we, we do, and passionate about aviation. So it's like, hey, this is how we're, we're like everybody else.
0: Well, and I, as I think back to all of the ones we've done, I'm always impressed by the varied experience of the people. Um, they've had multiple interests in aviation. They've had a life sometimes outside of aviation. And their work within the FAA seems to be um, interdisciplinary in some ways. So it's, it's cool. Um, and he's certainly in a growth area because if he's trying to manage and write policies and procedures for um, airspace related to drones uh, that's a big job because as we talked about before in in other issues the the um, drone population of course is skyrocketing and the utility of them are as well this is this is a fun um, part and it it Goes along with the idea of you know how do you get back into the system and um, if you're used to flying at a non-controlled airports and you're you know going to do some cross-country work into a different facilities how to get your ATC skills back. We've done several articles on um, communication, what to say, what not to say, and this is a great reminder and a great review of um, it's a uh, basically it's a test they. There's five oh, scenarios and so <laughs> with a multiple choice answer. So it's it's great.
1: Yeah, quiz is a, a much friendlier word somehow. Or it doesn't sound as scary as test. Um, but yeah, we we uh, the shared situational awareness and Paul you used the term shared mental model for briefings, but yes. but it works here too. Clear communication is really important. And there are so many terms that we we obviously always want to encourage people to look in the pilot controller glossary and to use standard phraseology. But in this case, um, Jennifer, the author of this one, she worked with several controllers to come up with both the questions and the answers and what you call the distractors, the wrong answers. And um, last time I checked, I think this article, this piece, because I think people like quizzes and crosswords like we had in a previous issue. This one has gotten a lot of attention and it sparked some debate. And in some cases, people have um, questioned whether the correct answer was correct, but we got them all from active controllers and we've gone back and checked with controllers to say, hey, you know, did we miss something? And so so they're, they're we're pretty confident about the, the way that this is framed. So um, yeah, take
0: the quiz and see how you do. The one thing I I like a lot about this one is um, scenario number four is, um, you know, about standby. So if you call a controller and he says standby, I mean, it typically means that he he or she is working on something else. They'll get back to you. But don't forget that we can use the same thing. Um, Yeah. I was on a flight just a few nights ago and um, midway, you know, and, not much is going on and then all of a sudden the controller comes on and says i've got um, new routing for you advise ready to copy and my first words out of my mouth were stand by because why all right i've got to find a pen i've got to get the paper i've got to get i've got to get the light turned on so i can see you know what i'm doing yeah. and get and get ready you know so when i said stand by i mean he under he and he understood that i mean I'll, I'll get back to you so i think you know between standby and unable i think those are two pilot friendly words that we should probably use when you know when we need to use them
1: well so. i guess it's not good to say if they said i've got a full root clearance to say unable um <laughs> that's true
0: it's not
1: appropriate. <laughs> however uh, yes i i always taught that unable is one of the most useful words that you can have because you, you're you're communicating very easily i can't do that let's talk about what, what are my alternatives? Um, So phrases to have.
0: Yeah. I have frequently asked um, controllers, you know, if I have a one-on-one with them um, in some setting to say what, you know, what's your number one pet peeve? Uh, The answers are pretty consistent. Um, Use of Roger inappropriately is not a big favorite of controllers because it doesn't really mean anything. And it's discussed in this, this Mm -hmm. uh, uh, article. Um, and then um, another pet peeve, which I've heard, is um, being a little bit too wordy. You, you know, just not just for given. Just give the facts. You don't need all of the words to express it. So, um, yeah, it's it's a shared responsibility, and the system works. But there's some ways you can refine it. So.
1: so one last thing before we leave this slide, when I'm trying to help people write um, briefing papers for senior officials or to give presentations, the advice that I give is be brief, be clear, be done, be gone. And I think <laughs> that that is also applicable when you're on the radio.
0: For sure. For sure. Um Hot spot. This is a good one. It's all about hotspots. spots. And the author Tom Hoffman, he you know, he sort of introduces it by saying, You've had a wonderful flight, you know, it's been a, a good flight. You've maybe negotiated some weather, you know, one thing and another. And, you know, then you land and you have some sort of um, you know, runway incursion or something doesn't go quite well. And I, I think I've often told my students this is that the, the flight's never over until the engine's off and there's chalks behind the wheels, you have to keep flying. And and that means situation awareness on the ground and things like that. We um, have to he uses like Flying Cloud Airport as an example with some hotspots. I used to, uh, when I operate in and out of O'Hare, I, I used to just brief that the entire airport's a hotspot. So you, you have to pay yeah. attention.
1: So. Fortunately, a lot of that in Chicago is a little bit different. But uh, yeah, Flying Cloud has six hot spots, and these days, And this is a really neat thing. A lot of the uh, electronic flight bag apps will highlight them for you. Um, The FAA is doing a lot to highlight them on charts. Um, And there are lots of ways to figure out where they are so that you can, well, this is another case of see and avoid, know and avoid where where they are. Um, The points in here are all very standard advice, and we're building on some of the material that we presented in the system safety, I mean, the surface safety issue a few months ago. Don't keep going if you're not sure where you are. Stop and ask, um, and stop and ask for directions. There's there's a lot less shame in asking for directions than in going where you're not supposed to be, um, especially at a busy airport. And then this article also includes some things that are repeated on the slide here. What are the self-briefing questions sure. um, and I like the wording here that will help you avoid being scalded by contact with a hotspot?
0: And uh, it's another part of it, too, is um, uh, you can't necessarily assume a taxi route is going to be the same just because you've had it to pass three or four times, uh, which means check the notams in case something's closed for construction or you know, it's temporarily shut down for something else. Um, this to me is, you know, how to get to the runway and how to get off the runway are briefing items that you can either brief and make notes to yourself. Or if you're in a crew or instructional environment, um, brief it so that both pilots are on the same page about uh, what's going to happen. And then I'm, you know, if I go into airports I'm not familiar with, but I I know where I'm, I know where the destination, is, the name of the facility is. I just don't necessarily know where it is. is. I'll just I'll tell the tower controller uh, when we land, we're going to such and such. And, you know, I'm usually met with, oh, that'll be a right turnoff. Okay. So, it, you know, it, it pays to just sort of brief and stay aware. So and if
1: not tell you, you can always ask um, because uh, it, it, again, being uncertain of where you are in busy airspace or busy ground space is not a good idea.
0: No, there's there's um, too, too many reports that we've all read, you know, through the uh, NASA forums or through the airline ASAP reports that typically show if you're, you know, rushed or distracted, uh, something on the ground like that could happen, so. And don't
1: be that pilot.
0: Exactly. I, I used to tell people, you know, I'm trying to set the example, not be the example. So. Oh,
1: that's a good phrase. Well, yeah. here's another way that uh, you can preflight your destination And this is something that, uh, you know, Paul and I have both tried out separately. I mean, I I had looked at them before, but I think in preparation for this, Paul, you looked at some of these. Um, Well, I I looked in,
0: you know, Madison, Wisconsin, you know, which is just a few miles away. And there's a video about getting around at Madison. So it's cool.
1: So what the FAA is doing, and you see on the little screenshot here, the, the ones in green are already done. The ones in blue are in progress. Um, but these are, these are the videos that I've watched and I've watched several of them. They, they run about seven or eight minutes and they show you the picture that you would see because it's, they're, they're filming from the flight deck. So there you are and you are going someplace, but the, the chart excerpt is up in a corner. Um, there are video, there are charts that show you where the hot spots are on the chart and then what they look like on the ground, um, so as, as I wrote in the beginning of this article, and, and it wasn't a, a joke, you know, when I was learning fly, we had to make little. my instructor always had us make little runway diagrams. And uh, my one of my colleagues who was at a similar point in training to me, um, he and I used to have this little informal competition for whose diagram could be better. And his were his were a little very artistic. I mean, he would have. Um, he would have these wonderful little trees and everything else on it and then show them to me very proudly. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: But we don't have to do that anymore. We got the videos and these from the flight deck videos, they're free. They're, they're growing. You know, every time I turn around, there's a new one. I've looked at the ones for airports around here, Paul. I didn't realize there was one for Madison, but I probably should go look at that just to see what's on that one too.
0: Well, and the other part too is, in addition to these videos, certainly some of the popular flight planning apps, depending on your level of uh, subscription, will show 3D um, more or less data coming from satellite images. Um, So it it gives you another uh, opportunity to see what the surrounding uh, environment looks like. uh, And just the overall layout gives you the opportunity to almost fly the airplane into the runway that you're anticipating. So, you know, you can have a head start as to what it looks like. So-
1: I will, There is one thing I would say, just I, I'm not suggesting that we go back to stone tablet and chisel. And I do think that these videos are a vast improvement over what I did. However, uh, I, I, I want to put in a plug for the fact that sometimes just the work of, of transferring something, sketching it out for yourself, um, there's something about embedding that in your head because you're deciphering, depicting, um, that that helps you mentally get it. So use all the tools. There are much more, uh, far more and far better tools now than just a few years ago, and I imagine they will get better still. But but whatever you do, and this is all about using whatever you can to prepare yourself as best you can.
0: Well, in in a roundabout way, you're making a plug for um, I think understanding the basics. Um it, it's equivalent, you know, in my mind to saying, well, we have apps that can decode METARS and TAFS, but I still want to be able to know how to read a METAR and TAF without having an app. Um, it's the same with looking at a, a instrument approach chart. Um, you know, we, we have the avionics basically tell us everything we need to know, um, but I like to know the basics behind it. So
1: yeah, I this agree is, with
0: that. Uh, I think that's a really yeah. good point. Um, another flight planning uh, tool, and this this discussion is about TFRs, mission possible. Um, what I got out of it, Susan, was um, T. F. You know, the the people who are working with the agencies and creating TFRs, they're trying to balance uh, in some t- in some cases national security and safety with airspace utilization.
1: Well, when I was in the building, I used to go downstairs into that office periodically for one reason or another. So I got acquainted with some of the people who, at at least at that time, were in systems operations security, SOS is a kind of a fun acronym. Um, They are people who, who they know, they care, they work with a lot of agencies and they get, as the article points out, They get a lot more requests for TFRs, temporary flight restrictions, and other special use airspace. They get a lot more requests than they ever grant. Um, The goal is to try to provide for the safety and security that is necessary, but to shape the scope and the time limits and the access uh, capabilities in a way that just minimizes the impact on the majority of the, of the airspace users. So they, they do not simply say, oh sure, you know, we'll give you a TFR. They go back and forth and what do you really need and how do you need it and what do you need it for? So it's, it's a balancing act. And although um, as the article points out, uh, TFRs are not exactly popular with pilots but I'm really glad that we have the people who work for us who are so dedicated to making sure that we scope and shape them appropriately.
0: Well, and certainly in the, the past few months with the heavy um, fire activity on the, on the West Coast, you see a number of TFRs and those are simply there to protect the firefighting aircraft um so that they can do their job effectively and, and not have um conflicts with you know with just the general flying so
1: they, they need those too there's sure. there have been TFRs pretty close to my home airspace um, not not as many thank goodness this summer as last but Paul you and I have been there we've looked at them and you know we we'll see the tanker aircraft headed in and out sure. of the, the operated areas and if you bring up um, one of the flight tracking apps and look inside the TFR, you will see, uh, and you can follow the tracks of some of the aircraft that are in them, lots of circles, it's it's pretty busy airspace. So obviously it has to be there.
0: It really is. And I um, I think I saw this in the article, if you go to tfr.faa.gov, you will get um, a web page listing all of the TFRs that are in effect um their altitude their times where they are um so you know just a simple web search will will bring them up as well if you're you know want to get kind of a big picture um so i got another new word i learned out of this uh vertiport um did you <laughs> look it up well i did actually i mean i think i knew what it meant but i wanted to make sure okay. um So this is all about how uh, the FAA Technical Center is doing research to better understand the needs of um, heliports and also vertiports, which are essentially vertical takeoff and landing uh, facilities. Um, The interesting number, it's in the next to the last bullet port or (laughs) bullet port, bullet point. (laughs) Um, 90% of accidents were over a certain period of time were attributed to the infrastructure. So this is the FAA's way of working with all the facilities to make this better and safer.
1: Yeah, the, I, the, the advisory role is, is out there and the new um, advisory circular for vertiport design is under consideration. So um, there's a heliport design advisory circular that's out there now with the recommended standards. And there are a lot of people who get a say in what this guidance is. So you'll see down there that uh, there were a lot. They looked at accidents and incidents, talked to stakeholders, um, published paper. So, so a lot of a lot of thought and effort and research goes into developing these things. But, uh, yeah, I, I actually, when I first saw it, which was um, previously, I looked up vertiport myself. And vertiport to me was one of those words that sounded like the cartoon Jetsons I used to watch when I was a kid. Yeah, so you can just, you know, I, I'd kind of like to have my own vertiport actually, um, with my own little vertical thing to play with. It would make a yeah. lot of,
0: it, it would make traffic a lot easier to deal with. Well, the future is now, I think. So I think it is. Yeah. Um. So we we often devote some time to uh, the name of the column is called drone debrief. And again, this is all about how, um, in fact, your, your colleague who, who uh, was featured in FAA faces, um, his group and other people like him are trying to find ways to get more airspace utilization to accommodate and manage the drone traffic. And what I learned in this was earlier, there was, a grid produced um, with one mile squares, but now we have quad grids. Quad grid. Is, that's what they're called. Yeah. Split yeah, into. Which is now a one mile square put into quarters, which gives them the ability to um, oper- or to define drone airspace a little bit more precisely and to open it up more.
1: Well, it does, and uh, because we we thought this article was useful, there are so many remote pilots now. Uh, we we normally our departments are normally just one page, but we we made extra space for this one to talk about the more airspace becoming available for drone operations. Um, the quad grids are are interesting, and I I think the uh, another of the points that is kind of inherent in this article. Is that the FAA is actively, constantly working to do what the goal is to safely integrate UAS drones into the national airspace system, not to create some kind of separate parallel structure, but to find how to integrate these aircraft, because they are aircraft, into um, safely operating with everybody else. And this these quad grids are a new way to do it, and I, I love the creativity and the the innovation that that these guys are doing.
0: Well, and also the to be able to um, operate, you can't put the acronym together, but it's beyond line of sight. Is you know the the goal for some of this is to be able to operate your drone, you know, at a point beyond beyond which you can see it. And that has airspace implications in it as well, because you need to know where that airspace limit might be. So it's it's interesting work, and it's I'm I'm sure it's consuming a lot of time just because of the proclivity of you know the drone population and how much that's expanding.
1: Well, and also because airspace creation it involves a lot of risk assessment, safety risk management, looking at so many factors. So so the effort. It looks simple enough, but the effort that goes into determining that these um, this new tool can be safely deployed
0: is is enormous. Yeah, um, this was also kind of took me to back to the past a little bit in terms of um, how do we know how many aircraft operations there are, especially at non-towered airports. And this article goes on to say, well. Um, You know, we can make estimates based on how many people are based here, how many operations we see per day, do some extrapolation. Um, At the airport that I um, learned to fly at in just west of Madison, uh, there was a time when that airport was going to be expanded. But in order to make the case for expansion, they had to come up with some accurate numbers about, well, how many operations, because that drives things like economic impact to the community. Can we justify, you know, improvements to the airport? And this article goes into the technology of that, uh, basically transponder-based and a group from Purdue University put together a program to you know, basically put transponders at some of these, or transponder receiving equipment to count airplanes.
1: Well, I had honestly, until I read this article, I had never really thought about counts and how they did it. And uh, Jen's um, the way Jennifer sets it up, is kind of funny that she always thought maybe somebody with binoculars and a clicker um, and an umbrella sitting there, you know, click, click, click for every takeoff and landing. And of course, that's not the way that it's done. Um, I, the fact that we can use technology like ADSB in order to do it. And so far, they've um, collected a lot of information at a number of different airports. And this transponder signal counting technology that's being deployed is, as it says in the last bullet, it's accurate and cost effective way to do things at the non-towered airports, which has always been where it was, it was not exactly consistently valid or accurate data. Um, So I I, I did know that airport traffic counts had a lot to, uh, they, they are considered along with all kinds of bigger infrastructure decisions. So it's important, but it's also important for it to be accurate. And now we have tools to make it more accurate than ever before.
0: And that actually is a quick lead-in to the next article, which is about...
1: I thought you um, would like that lead-in.
0: Yeah, thanks for helping me out. Um, It's all about airport grants. A couple of numbers, or at least one big number pointed out to me was uh, since the program has been started, there's been $96 billion awarded to airports. And there is a website that you can go to to see what airports are receiving Money or have eligibility for improvements, and they're widespread. It could be a runway extension, it could be new taxiway lights, it could be um, programs for noise abatement. Well, um, that's the sensing. thing.
1: Environmental projects. There are there are all kinds of different um, projects that that go forward, and um, there there's the article goes into a lot of things. I think people might find interesting because, especially if your local community is looking for some kind of grant money to do um, improvements. There are also um, grant assurances that go into it because you have to demonstrate if you're going to get this um, airport grant money that um, you can meet the requirements, the conditions that go into it, um, carry out the assurances and obligations in the application and grant agreement. So it's... um, and, and uh, as Paul said, there, there are a lot of different things that, that this money is used for. Um, but I was particularly interested, especially since our last issue was about embracing um, the environment, that environmental projects are certainly um, right for consideration for some of these things.
0: And I went, I went to the website that was noted in the um, article and um... Pulled up Wisconsin, and sure enough, there's two airports in Wisconsin that are um, that have a grant. Um, one's in La Crosse, which is out on the west on the Mississippi River for some construction work. Um, the other is Madison for a noise study. And I was trying to connect the dots about w- what's going on, and then I remembered that the uh, Air National Guard unit located oh, at the wow. Madison Airport is slated to get F-35s. So yeah, I have a feeling. A, I, I have I'm, a feeling that related to um, the noise and the and um, noise mitigation for the neighborhoods around the airport
1: that's a good yeah. reason to
0: do that for sure um, this is a fun article that you put together on the advantages of adventuring um, tell us about it
1: well this was about um you know moving from uh, this sort of the study of airports and airspace to some of the the things that come from using them and the um the columns here talk about the it, it's the way that the whole article is structured uh plans and practice um and I I talk about this in the piece as well that um, years ago in virginia i i think virginia was one of the first states to do one of the visit every airport they called it the virginia aviation ambassador program and in the closet behind me i don't need it very much this time of year in arizona but i do have a leather jacket that's my virginia aviation ambassador um jacket and i'm very proud of it because it means that i visited all of the public use airports and i went to the festival of flight and i visited four or five aviation museums and checked all the boxes to qualify for it. But in addition to being fun, it was, it was quite a learning experience because it's the planning and flying to unfamiliar airports. Um, you've got to change the plan for all the weather and um, operational issues that come up. Uh, you get to meet other people um, and the people and pets. I met a lot of airport dogs. I don't think I've met too many cats, <laughs> but um. There was one airport that um, the 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 airport manager kind of had had snacks out for pilots, and they were so eager to have us that it was kind of hard to get away. You yeah. just felt guilty leaving again. And then um, the, the places Virginia, I, I'm not sure about Arizona. Virginia was starting to standardize some of its uh, local airport designs, but. But there was still a variety of some of this and some of that. And um, you, you could look at pilot shops. And then there was there were lots of places for the $100 hamburger or whatever else you wanted to eat. Of course. And then, yeah, plane spotting. And that was fun, too. I always used to love plane spotting because certainly in flying around airports in Virginia, um, the flight school where I learned to fly had um, had transfer, changed ownership, and some of the airplanes that it had had dispersed, and so I, it was kind of like seeing old friends. I would find, oh, that was the airplane that I saw. I put that on my cross country, um, so you would see them. And then um, I also mentioned here the uh, 1990s Skyhawks, the original ones that, or the ones that came out after the General Aviation Revitalization Act. They, the first hundred, were produced with Echo Sierra in the tail. And that was in honor of Ed Stinson, who was um, very instrumental in getting that legislation passed. So I, I had the pleasure of knowing him. And uh, so I, I always look for the extra special airplanes that were that got their tail numbers for him. So keep a lookout. You're probably all over the country now.
0: Well, and you said that Virginia had a program ambassador. I know Wisconsin has a program, it's called the Passport Program, and it's the same principle. Um, go to the airports in Wisconsin, get it noted in your sort of passport that you've been there. But other, other places do too. I was looking on the web. There's, uh, I think um, North Dakota has a program like that. Um, I think I saw programs in Florida, certainly on some of the Western states. So it's just a way to have a reason to um, you know, go to a different airport. But from the learning standpoint, as you brought up, this is a great way to sharpen our skills because we're going to, if we really dig in and do the planning properly, we'll get into the chart supplement. We'll need to learn, you know, more about, you know, a lot of these are non-towered airports about operations there. We need to pay attention to NOTAMs of course. So it's a way to, you know, sharpen our skills with a purpose of seeing something new.
1: Yeah. AOPA has a program like that too. So there are lots of ways to do it. The point is, there are advantages of adventuring, so go out and use them.
0: I like it. Um, this is a great article, uh, great photo. Um, it's about um, you said, no place like Jerome. Um, yeah, the, the picture I took at the TWA
1: hotel, and um, and I I'll leave you to read the piece, and hopefully you might also be interested in reading the book that it is. That that gave me the idea to write it this way. Um, it's it's an odd, a, kind of a funny name, Naked Airport, a cultural history of the world's most revolutionary structure. And I read it several years ago and I was quite fascinated. I learned all sorts of things about airports that I never knew before, but um and, and about how they have evolved. But but the point that I really wanted to get across in here was, and the quote from the book is there. This is this is a critical part of our our infrastructure, our aviation infrastructure and a reflection of how humans have developed. And so um, let's all let's appreciate airports and no place like drone, especially when it's your home drone.
0: Well, and there are certainly some airports that um, are fairly utilitarian and, you know, they're rectangular and, you know, they serve their purpose. But when I think about airports, uh, for example, the terminal at washington Dallas that has a very, you know, classic shape to it. This terminal, the TWA terminal at JFK, is certainly um, uh, reflective of the past. And we both had the opportunity to be there, and it's um, quite elegant on the inside because it goes back to you know the days in the sixties, dial s. Who knew? Ro- yeah, I- rot- rot- rotary dial phones in the rooms. It's pretty interesting. That's
1: really fun.
0: Yeah. Um, This is our um, article about maintenance and mechanics, and we call it nuts and bolts. Um, Don't forget the electrons part. I'm sorry? Don't
1: forget the electrons, nuts, bolts, and electrons. That's right,
0: the electrons, which is actually more about what this is about. It's a bit of a question and answer article related to um, what are the requirements for putting ADSB in the aircraft if it is a non-electric aircraft? So the first thing it goes on to say is what is a what is an electric aircraft? Meaning it has to have an engine-driven electrical system, not just a battery and a you know a, a radio. Um, but if you have questions about that, if you have one of these aircraft and you have questions about ADSB. Um, just go through this it gives a bit more detailed information about what's required but also it makes a very strong case for saying that suppose you have an aircraft that does not require adsb there still is a um, benefit of using adsb for um, traffic information and um, other advantages So. the next two are, are medical articles, and they're both about, um, well, hypoxia. Well, your, your oxygen
1: and hypoxia, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this kind of gets into the whole uh, idea that if you're operating in the airspace, particularly if you're operating at certain altitudes, uh, you need to be mindful of oxygen. Um, the The oxygen, the requirements are here, but I also wanted to point out down here at the bottom, there are um, demonstrations that you can do. The FAA has a version. Um, I was fortunate enough to do that in, at Andrews Air Force Base a few years ago. And you, you get a, you, you ha- if you have the opportunity to do it, I would encourage it because you get a sense of what actually happens to you when you are in an oxygen deprived state. There's a set of things that can happen but for every single person, um, it can be a little different. So knowing how your body reacts is a really important tool.
0: And, um, she references many of the rules and regs that are related to what part you're flying, part 121, part 135, part 91, and the basic 61 requirements. So it's a good rule and reg review, but also as Susan said, if you have some experience in this, then you can know, know what to expect. And, the next article is um, really about what is hypoxia and what are some of the contributing factors to it. A lot of it is about your general overall health. Um, uh, also, it talks about prolonged sitting, and of course, the recommendations to be careful with scuba diving and flying at higher altitudes.
1: Well, and one of the uh, it, it it's mentioned in this article, but and also in the previous one, the reason that oxygen requirements exist, it really is important to understand that hypoxia uh, I and mean, some of the, sometimes the symptoms of it are euphoria you you don't you're you're too happy yeah. to know you're in trouble, and so you have to be super careful and although it's not a perfect device, um. I mean, I, I, I'm i kind of enjoying having my blood oxygen monitor thing on my wrist nowadays with the the watch that I have. So I, I periodically check it. Not that I'm at particularly high altitude, but it's kind of fun to look at.
0: Well, but and you can even you can of. even just get a small post, pulse oximeter, yes. you know, from your you know preferred drugstore that are they're relatively inexpensive, and you can actually get an idea about how things are going um, as you're you know making a flight. Exactly. Oh. Um, this is sort of our aviation roundup and uh, several interesting things here. Um, the new runway safety sim. This has been in the press a lot. And it's about, um, as we've talked about before, runway safety activity. Um, learn to say unable. Um, and, you know, there's information and quizzes embedded in that as well.
1: Well, there are. And uh, the other things that are mentioned in here, one is the recreational UAS operators are required to take a test. And there's information about that test. It's it's fairly straightforward. And it's called the TRUST test, the recreational um, UAS uh, safety test, I think is what the acronym stands for. But I, I thought that was kind of a fun way to do it. And then there's also a little piece in here about new weather cameras coming online.
0: We you know, we've, have, we've covered so many of those, certainly in Alaska, but in Colorado, and now I see them in other airports.
1: And they're they're starting to. I mean, this has been something we talked about. This um, um, we, we had a specific article about these uh, several issues ago. Sometimes I lose track of which issue it was or how long ago it was, but we. Um, at the time, we knew that new ones were coming. To I think Colorado was the one that was coming online at the yeah. time, and, and since then, there, as you say, there are more, and they're um, they're they're spreading across the country.
0: Well, and it's a, just a great way to get some real time data, and um, again, to sort of assist in flight planning. Um, it's kind of like it goes along with those
1: from the flight deck videos too. You can exactly you can get a better view of where things are.
0: Yeah. Um, on the Recreational USA operators required to take a test. Um, quiz sounds better, by the way.
1: So. Oh, <laughs> touche, you got me. You're right. But but hey, the acronym stands for test, uh, but it's not a difficult
0: test. There we go. Uh, so what are these, Susan?
1: This slide was up there. We we put in ads periodically for, uh, we, we obviously don't sell commercial advertising, but we put in things to bring your attention to some of the resources available um we've talked in the previous especially with the data-driven decision-making issue we talked about the guard app general aviation airborne recording device Uh, you can do the qr code here and go download the app if you wanted to use that another thing that we do are safety enhancement topics and these are available uh, short blurbs about things Uh, september one is service bulletins for and the aircraft owner which has got some really helpful information into it and October's is pilots and medication. So these are things we um, we make available on the FA website and we just wanted to use the magazine to bring attention to the fact that these are resources available to you.
0: Well, the Guard app sounds like something I wanna try out because it's always good to get more information and data about you know how we're operating our airplane. So I'll, I'm gonna try that. Go for it. All right um we often talk about this there are several ways to give feedback and um, your agency is quite responsive to that so
1: we are and uh, one of the things that we we do and uh, for feedback here you can write to us at safetybriefing at fa.gov we have a couple of people who write to us pretty regularly um to tell us what they liked or didn't like or about an issue and somebody caught a typo a few issues back that we had all missed, and it was it was a little embarrassing. But at the same time, we were wow, you, you got sharp eyes, and then we were able to fix the online version, so nobody else will see it. And then we, um, you can also communicate with us directly at uh, FA Safety Brief, our Twitter stream, and I, I sometimes forget to mention we have a GA Facebook page that uh, is moderated and um, very much, so So I need to add that to the slide, but uh, we we have a pretty active user group and the feedback you see reflected here in forum comes from all of those sources.
0: Sure. Well, as we begin to wrap up here, um, we go through this, there are several ways to get FAA safety briefing. Of course, the website, um, um the the website, it, yeah it's uh
1: we we do have the current issue online and um we've moved up the uh, archived issues it used to be you'd have to scroll down quite a bit to find it we we've moved the link to archived issues up quite a bit um the fa medium blog you can sign up for spans notices and get um you, you can get a, an email when the new issue comes out and it will provide uh, links to to specific articles in mobile-friendly forms. So, and then there's the print edition, which uh, you've got one in your hands, Paul. So I do. People who prefer to have the print edition, and you can have all of them. You can have print, and you can have PDF, and you can look at it online. So lots of different ways to to join us.
0: Very good. So I know that the November and December issue is already in preparation. And <laughs> tell us about it.
1: Well, um, STEM is a big thing, but so is STEAM. And I'm kind of big on adding the A to it for the arts. So we are going to be looking at pathways to aviation, uh, science, technology, uh, engineering, arts, and mathematics. So uh, I think we're we're kind of calling it full STEAM ahead.
0: Very good. Well, We'll look forward to doing that and we'll announce the date of the next uh, Safety Briefing live. And just a, just a reminder, um, don't forget Wings to credit. absolutely go through and get Wings credit for this. And there's the various ways that uh, you can link to some other um, uh, avenues to stay apprised of what's current, as well as some of the things that we've done in the past.
1: Yeah, the archived courses are pretty easy to, to look at. So, so that's uh, that's a wrap for this time, Paul. And uh, yeah. we will figure out a, a good date for November and get together again in a couple of months. So uh, thanks, for everybody, for joining us.
0: Take good care. Be safe.